0: Hi, York Street. I'm very, very excited that today we have Carl Fays with us. Carl is one of the leading communicators in our country and is responsible for a huge amount of resources to help lead people closer to Jesus and wrestle through the reality of who he is and what that means to their life. And so without any further ado, I'd like to hand over to Carl Fays. Well, hi, York Street Church. I'm sorry I can't be there with you in person in Ballarat for this weekend. Thanks, Pastor Tim, for the opportunity to speak to you about finding, and I'm going to add, sharing Jesus in the COVID pandemic period. What a year 2020 has been. As people have said, the one thing that you wasted your money on for 2020 is if you bought a year calendar in 2019, because you probably haven't used it. It's been a remarkable and challenging challenging time. It's been a challenge for families, it's been a challenge for businesses, for community organisations, for governments and especially as well for churches, and we're still trying to work out what the ongoing impact on churches will be. We recognize that uh, many millennials, it seems from research, are not connecting to online church services. And even when churches open up again, it's a question of whether people will come back. A friend of mine this uh, week who uh, speaks to many church leaders around the Sydney, New South Wales area was telling me that uh, he had just opened his services up again just recently. And And when he did, he found that about 25% of people didn't return to church services where they met in person. Now, perhaps that's health risks. Perhaps they'll come back again later. But there are enormous questions. But one of the other questions that all of us need to ask is, what about the wider community? What's the influence on the COVID 19 pandemic on the wider community from a spiritual perspective. We know a lot of the outcomes from a health perspective. We know a lot of the outcomes from a mental health perspective. We certainly know the outcomes from a financial and economic perspective. But what about a spiritual perspective, and people have been doing research on that. Mark McCrindle, uh, who's an Australian researcher, did research in the middle of this year. And these are some of the figures that he found from a spiritual perspective of people responding to the pandemic. Thirty five percent said they were praying more. Forty one percent were thinking more about God. 25% were reading the Bible more, and nearly half, 47%, said that they thought more about mortality and the meaning of life. Mark McCrindle wrapped up his research by saying this, The research is showing that this COVID situation has rattled Australians and got them thinking more about the big purpose of life. It's got them reprioritizing their life. Professor Ruth Powell, who worked for the National Church Life Survey, said this, it's often in times of crisis when you do the big spiritual questions. Now, this is occurring internationally as well. There's a a research from the University of Copenhagen by Associate Professor Professor Benzing, and this associate professor found that across 95 countries, once the World Health Organization announced the pandemic, the the rate of people searching on Google for prayer was growing exponentially. So you have it here in Australia in prayer and thinking about the big questions of life, you have that internationally. Eternity Magazine, which is an Australian Christian magazine, Eternity Magazine said this, 31% of Australians who state they have no religion told researchers they would search online to find out more about faith or religion. This figure is actually higher in the nons, that's the non-religious group uh, of 18 to 34 year olds, where it's 36%. So what you're finding is people are praying more, people are thinking about the big questions of life, people are willing to explore online, and people are also willing to do online courses. Uh, the, the church City on a Hill, which is quite well known in Victoria, and they're in the center of Melbourne. And they found as they did a, a, an, an alpha course for one of the first times online, they had 220 people in different situations joining in on a virtual alpha course. What is this saying? that the gospel is not locked down the community is in lockdown but the gospel is not churches are closed but the message of jesus is still getting out in times of uncertainty people's interest in their spiritual life grows it doesn't diminish then the challenge is not whether the gospel is effective the challenge is whether we have the ability to share the gospel in new circumstances. So as we come to this in this COVID-19 pandemic, what did we learn when we filmed Jesus the Game Changer season two, to the ends of the earth? What did we learn there that says something about sharing the gospel in difficult times? What did we learn about the growth of the church? And here are five things that we learned. First, the gospel spread against all odds. The gospel spread against all odds. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it said that in the upper room, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, there are 120 people. 120 people! I mean, consider this question. Imagine then if somebody said, uh, what's the chance of this 120 people lasting five years? What's the chances of them lasting 10 years? What's the chances of them going beyond this room? I think anybody at the time, any sensible thinking person would have said they had almost no chance. I mean, think about this group. They had no money, no influence, no power, no assets, no political connection or influence. It seemed like a hopeless situation. And yet we know that the message, once the spirit of God fell on the church and empowered those believers, the apostles, and the believers, the church spread across the known world. Now, here is Michael Bird from Jesus the Game Changer Season 2 talking about the spread of the gospel. We know very quickly, you know, by about 70 AD, you've got the church spread in parts of the Transjordan, you know, just across the Jordan River. It's in Syria, it's in Egypt, it's probably in North Africa. It's probably gone as far as uh, Persia. And certainly I think by the second century, there's a very good chance that the church has also gone into India uh, as well. And uh, between um, Baghdad and Peking by like the 12th century, you've got like 24 major dioceses of the Nestorian church in that area. So there was this very um, vibrant church uh, across the the, the steppes of Asia, um, Persia, all the way through to India and China. You don't hear a lot about it, but it's actually quite a very significant history of the church out there. So one of the reasons that the gospel spread, the church grew, and the influence of Christians was enormous, was what the church stood for. What did the gospel stand for? Yes, we know it was the power of the Spirit, that there was something about what they taught. In a very elite community where potentially two thirds of the whole of the Greco Roman world were slaves and seeing of no worth at all, here you have people talking about the worth and dignity of every person, whether you're a woman. Whether you're a slave, whether you're a child, whether you're disabled, whether you are a widow, whether you have no opportunity for influence, you matter to God. In fact, Paul, when he wrote to the church at, at uh, the Galatian in the book of Galatians and the church around Galatia, uh, that that wide area, talked about the influence of Jesus and the difference that Jesus made. And he said these words, in Christ, there is neither Jew Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That is a remarkable statement. We're so used to that statement. We lose the power that that had at the time and still has now. The great divides of the world in Christ were all broken down. Here we have A group of people that seem to have no chance of of spreading beyond even Jerusalem have actually impacted the world. The influence of the gospel is enormous. If you look across the world, there are now 2.1 billion people who would be referred to as Christians. They're across every continent, pretty much every nation. It is the largest spread and the largest numerical group of people all coming from the person of Jesus all growing out of a group that would seem like they would go nowhere. And that influence continues. I've been doing a radio show, I'm working with a guy who's kind of panel operating for me, he's a, he's, I won't use his name, but he's an icon of the radio industry across Australia, and we've had these remarkable conversations, because he's not a Christian, but he's quite open, but he talked to me about going to the Middle East, going to Jerusalem, and going to all of these holy sites, as in his mid-twenties doing a particular TV show, and just talking about, you know, and looking at uh, the, the, those early sites of Christianity. At the end of the day, while he's still not a Christian, and he says 40 years later, when we discussed those and and the influence of Jesus around the world, he said, you know, when I left there in my 20s, I didn't know what to do with it. But I thought to myself, something happened here. And we know what happened. It was the person of Jesus. It was the gospel. The, The gospel is spread against all odds. But the second thing to say is that persecution has always been a consistent presence for the church. Here's Mike Gore, that who runs Open Doors Australia, talking about the persistence of persecution. The best way to describe a persecution is like a lung, okay, so it expands and it contracts and based on each country you might go through periods of intense persecution, but then periods where it frees up. China's a great example of this. You know, it's gone through a period of intense persecution then the gospel exploded. And now in today's world, we start seeing it contract again. Persecution is intensifying. This makes the spread of the gospel even more remarkable in those early years while persecution wasn't every person all the time. The early church, the early followers of Jesus, were they were in a very vulnerable place where they could be persecuted at any time. And we did the series Jesus the Game Changer" season two. We discovered that persecution was was basically everywhere we went. Here's two nations that you may not have thought about before. One was Japan. Now, Japan grew very it only has one percent Christians now. Uh, and back in the 16th century, The late 1500s, Christianity was brought to Japan. They believe it probably got to around 300,000 people in in Japan at the time uh, became Christians in the southwest part of Japan, the area around Nagasaki. The, the Japanese shoguns, the, the leaders of the country, decided that they wanted to rid the country of Christianity because they saw it as a foreign gods, a foreign influence. They began to persecute the church. In fact, uh, here are some shots from Nagasaki. And these shots are of the memorial, the monument to the martyrs in Nagasaki. 26 young Christians were martyred, on crosses, killed on crosses, hung on crosses to both take their lives and dissuade other people from following Jesus. Do you know the persecution that began there in 1597 went on for 250 years, seven generations. Every year in that southeast area around Nagasaki, you had to prove that you weren't a Christian by going to the Buddhist temple. And you had to register that you were a Buddhist and to prove that you weren't a Christian, you had to step on two fumii. These fumii were brass plaques and one was the face of Jesus and one was the face of Mary. And you did that every year to prove that you weren't a Christian. 250 years later, when a church opened in Nagasaki, people came out of the woodwork who had been following Jesus all of that time. Just across the water from from Japan is Korea. And Korea actually grew from Christians in China. There were those in in Korea who went to China, met with Jesuit missionaries and brought Christian faith back to Korea themselves. And, And the faith in Jesus, the gospel started to spread in Korea, especially in the north part of Korea. And so did persecution. They believed that between eight and 9,000 people at the time lost their lives. And yet the gospel grew. In fact, what may surprise many of you is that Pyongyang, the capital of now the, that closed country of North Korea, listed as one of the most dangerous countries for Christians anywhere in the world, Pyongyang in 1907 had a mighty revival. Then Pyongyang was known as the Jerusalem of Asia. The gospel continues to grow. The gospel continues to spread, even in the face of persecution. The key teaching of the church then and today is that the gospel is not about good advice. It's about good news. The gospel is not trying to compete in a marketplace of self-help and positive thinking as a better way of thinking. It's not about good advice on life. It's about good news. N.T. Wright, that wonderful teacher and Christian leader in his book, Simply Good News, points this out. Listen to this quote. Many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice. It wasn't and it isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It is the news that something has has happened, and as a result of which, the world is a different place. The first thing to remember is that the gospel is good news. It is news of something that happened, and that thing that happened was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the key teaching of the early church was that this resurrection of Jesus was ultimately most important. A really key passage is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The end of, uh, of, of the letter that we have from Paul to the church of Corinth. Paul actually says this in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Now, there's a couple of things to say about this. We can date this letter at about around AD 60. In other words, only 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And what we know is that Paul is saying, what I received, I passed on to you. In other words, this was something that, that had been talked about in, in among the early followers of Jesus. And what was it that they talked about? What was it that was most important? Well, this is what Paul says, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. What Paul is saying is of what's of first importance, what was passed on to him. Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, there's some philosophers around the globe across the centuries who have said, oh, the the Christian church added information about the resurrection of Jesus to make him sound like a more impressive person. In other words, it was a legend that grew up later that the church actually have embraced. What we know of a letter that was written, and we know this, was only written 50 to, AD 60 to 70, just a few years after Jesus' ascension, was that the church was talking about Jesus' death and his resurrection. In fact, Paul goes on to say these words, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some say that there is no resurrection from the dead? In other words, right back then, there were those who were claiming there was no resurrection. Paul goes on to say, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. So what's Paul saying? Of key importance, of foundation, the thing that we hold to is not that the teaching of Jesus is good advice, although it is. It's good news. And what we're telling people is that it's good news, the truth of Jesus. Fourthly, the church has always had a broad number of roles, but growth has been an outcome of gospel ministry. I mean, think about the things that your church, uh, under the pastoral leadership you have, is trying to do within your community. There there is community, building of relationships, building of a church and and, and hanging together and holding together. In this period of COVID, that's even more important. There's teaching and discipleship and passing on the knowledge of faith to generation and generation and to those who are discovering and finding faith in Jesus. There's the care, the, the care for the least of these. Now, let's just stop here for a moment to recognize that caring for people right back at the beginning was incredibly important and was very influential for the First Church. Now here's Mark Knoll, uh, a wonderful scholar, and he's talking about the influence of care. Early Christianity spread yes because the message was effective, yes because uh, the person of Jesus was attractive, but perhaps most because Christians were simply there in a not very well organized, not too systematic way. Christians were simply there to do acts of kindness, humanity, outreach in situations where uh, Roman culture did not smile favorably on that kind of person-to-person, group-to-group outreach. Next to care, there's also the standing with the marginalized. Now, all these things are important. Community and belonging is important. Teaching is important. Caring for people, standing near the next to the marginalized, all incredibly important. But none of these should usurp the place of the gospel as, of, as word in our ministries. To the, if the church just becomes another caring, humanitarian organization, as good as that is, and it is part of the gospel, if it's just another humanitarian organization, it's not the church that Jesus set up. The church that Jesus calls us to, was to take the gospel message from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And as people have taken the gospel message, the life-changing message of the death and resurrection of Jesus to the ends of the earth, that's what's changed the world. That's what's grown the church. If we lose that, we lose our reason for being. One of the keys that many organizations struggle with is is, is called mission drift. Not not just Christian organizations, all sorts of organizations where they start over here, but over the years, they drift to be over here. They don't represent what they started out as. Every church, your church at York Street, every church has to be careful they don't fall for mission drift. We need to hold on to, yes, community, yes, teaching, yes, care, yes, standing for the marginalized, all wonderful, but don't lose the the truth of the gospel that you are called to share. And the last thing, especially in these times, and I want to quote the Jesuits, a wonderful group, even though as, as Protestants, as Baptists, we're fairly nervous of groups like the Jesuits, but they had a key phrase, which I think is incredibly important for a time like this. And the little phrase was, live with one foot raised. The Jesuits are an interesting story. There's a guy called Ignatius Loyola, who's a 16th century Long story, which you won't go into, but in the end, it came to a deep faith of Jesus, went to France, Paris to study, gathered around him, about 10 other friends, and they started a new company. It was called the Company of Jesus. And the Jesuits, as the Company of Jesus, were those who wanted to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. What we all need to recognize as Protestants is in the 16th century, the Jesuits were more active in taking the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth than the new Protestant movement. It wasn't until later the Protestants actually became more active in mission. But at that period of time, you had the Jesuits going out with Portuguese and Spanish explorers, and they were literally going to the ends of the earth. They were getting on ships and going to China and the Philippines and Japan that we talked about earlier. Now. They had this notion that was live with one foot raised. Be ready for whatever God has for you. Be ready to step out. Just live with that mode. And one of the wonderful examples of this was Francis Xavier. Now, Francis Xavier is one of those first that started with Ignatius Loyola. He didn't actually live for many years afterwards. But with just two days notice, somebody else was supposed to get on a ship and go to out toward China to the, to the east. But that person fell ill and wasn't able to go. And with two days notice, because he lived with one foot raised, Francis Xavier got on the ship and went and ended up around India and China. He died waiting on a ship to enter into China, but he was ready to go. The Jesuits in those early years lived out that phrase, and it's a phrase that we ought to take on board today in a situation where we're all trying to work out what the future holds, where every church leader is asking what they do next, where we're trying to work out. Do we stay online? Do we we gather together? Do we have both? How do we run a, a gospel messages and services and contact into the community? The only way to do it is to live with one foot raised. The only way to do it is to be ready to go. The only way to do it is to follow where Jesus calls you to go. COVID-19 and the global pandemic is actually creating gospel opportunities. The question for all of us as church leaders is will we take the opportunity? Will we live with one foot raised? Will we be committed to the gospel? Will we recognize that it's good news? Will we take every opportunity to share that good news? My prayer for you at York Street Church and your leadership team, as you live live with one foot raised, you'll be ready to share the gospel and you will make an enormous influence in your community.